morning. I thought I would make sure to bring some water just because I, I get a little thirsty sometimes. But hopefully I don't drink too much. I don't want to have to go to the bathroom. Um, that's bad when that happens in your, your, your speaking. Um, before we really get started and, and say anything, I'd like to just take a moment and, and say a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to, to return back to Eastern Nazarene College and, and share what uh, you've laid on my heart today. And Lord, I pray right now that no matter what I say, your Holy Spirit will translate it into the words that need to be heard by each person who's here. Your Holy Spirit will affect the hearing and the heart of each individual in the room, Father, that they might hear whatever it is that you have in store for them. Although I am up here, Lord, I pray that you will just hide your servant behind your cross so that your name would be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, it, it's really a privilege to be with you today. Um, God is good. And I got a chance to talk to the Reverend Dr. Corey Mack on the phone the other day, and three things came, came to mind. One is I said, is there anything I should say or anything I shouldn't say? And he said, no, my brother, just say whatever the Lord has laid on your heart. Well, I would like if you avoided telling them stories about how you used to school me on the courts back in the day in New York. I told him I would try, but not very hard, to, to not mention that. I don't know if Corey plays J-term basketball here or not. Um, hopefully he does. But I'm also glad that he's a much better preacher than he's a basketball player. <laughs> I mean, the other thing that came to mind with Corey when we were talking was that it struck me that, man, this guy really, really loves ENC students. The depth of his love for ENC students just struck me in our conversation, and it always strikes me whenever I get a chance to speak to Corey. And I wonder myself, if not counting family, if there's anybody, and Jesus obviously, if there's anybody out there who loves me the way Corey loves you guys, you're very fortunate to have him as your chaplain. Part of the homecoming process is maybe to give a few shout-outs and reflections to what happened to me during ENC years. And to paraphrase the Dominican daddy himself, Sammy Sosa, ENC has been very, very good to me. And I'm not here today for an ENC love fest, but I do want you to know that when you leave this place, you can become anything that you want. Most importantly, you will be able to become anything that God wants you to be. While I was at ENC, I came as the first president scholar. I only say that because I wasn't very scholarly the first six weeks. For the freshmen, you're probably going to get like six-week grades soon. Yeah, I got mine. I, I didn't realize that some of those letters in the alphabet had existed. And for the first couple of weeks, um, I had fallen into, let's say, crowds of people who were less academically inclined than I was, and I had to really start school for me. School started in October, not in August, like it should have. Um, 
I also got to meet a lot of friends while I was here, friends who helped me learn a lot of things. I learned about love and action, learned about evangelism, learned about service to those in need, learned a lot about friendship. It was here also I got, I got a clear call to medicine. And in one class, uh, Professor Yark said we had to present a paper uh, by Francis Ford Fukuyama on the end of history. And I remember that because most of the stuff he wrote in that article was right now. He was predicting some things in the future. But also because it, Dr. Yark said at the end said something like, hey, maybe one day you'll want to be a teacher. And I was like, a teacher of what? I'm going to be a doctor. And during my training for medical residency, I realized that there are people who teach medicine. And it turned out that I ended up being a physician as well as a person who teaches medicine to residents and, and fellows. Before I, before I really go any further, um, I just wanted to say, you know, give some encouragement to some of you out there. You know, don't despise the path the Lord has for your life. I know that a lot of people love coming here, and this is where you wanted to come your whole life. And there's some of you who ENC was your safe school or your maid school. And by maid school, I mean your parents made you come. Um, but that's okay. You know, if you are a Christian, wherever you are in your life, that is where God has for you at that point in time. Or it's where God will work at that point in time or in the future. So don't despise the path the Lord has for you now or, or ever. You'll see two chairs are up here. I want to issue a challenge to any of the people here today. If you'd like to come up and stand on this chair and jump over to this chair, you can take whatever's in that envelope. If you fall in the middle, I, I probably won't help you. But I'm sure there are lots of people here who'd come rushing to your aid. Um, I, I would help you. I, I'm pretty sure. Um, as long as you didn't distract from my time. Um, is there anybody who'd like to try to jump from one chair or the other? Uh, <laughs> a lot of grown people. No. It's interesting because that's something that happens to us too. There's a, an uncrossable chasm that exists between us and God. And we could stand here and we could jump as far as we can. We can work as hard as we can. You can work out, go do your squats in the gym, get the gluteus maximus really strong, get those quads really strong. You can jump and you could land here, or you could actually land right here, and it's the same difference. You're not going to make it over here. 
no matter how close you are. There's no, there are no points for coming close. You're either there or you're here. And you end up falling down to the bottom of that chasm. The only way we can make it across is when the Father carries us across. And that's how we come into relationship with God. Because we rely exclusively on His grace to bridge that chasm for us. I want to just read a few verses to you from the book of Ephesians. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one could boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The NIV has an interesting way of putting that one, putting that verse together there, verse, uh, verse number 8 about grace and being saved through faith. The NASB actually has a more interesting way of putting that verse together in that it makes it clear that the it, and for those of you who are in English, it's important. I remember that the pronoun modify, you know, the correct noun, that the it there is referring back to the salvation. That salvation itself is a gift from God. And in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17, 19, and, and then from Ephesians chapter 4, and I pray that you, being rooted and established and grounded in love, may have power, together with all God's, the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I encourage you to live a life worthy of your calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. I want you to close your eyes with me for just a minute. Go ahead and close them. It's okay. I won't do it. Nothing's going to come out of the ceiling and land on your head. see your house, the dream house that you have, the place you've always wanted to live. Once there was a woman who lived in exactly that house that you have in your mind. If you can keep that picture in your head, you can open your eyes. If you need to keep your eyes closed, to keep the picture in your head, you can keep it closed. And that way, even if you fall asleep while I'm talking, I'll think you're thinking of the house. Once there was a woman who lived in exactly that house. Her father, who had loved her more than anyone else in the world, had built it for her. Now her father had been a real father. To the day he died, he was strong and caring and affectionate in all the things that made her feel loved. He did not abandon her or her family. He never touched her inappropriately. He never took out his frustrations on her physically or verbally. For years she lived there, filling the house with all her favorite things. And she filled them with some of Oprah's favorite things too. She cherished all those things. Little did she know, however, that a mass murderer was on the loose. He was a destroyer of dreams, who took pleasure in making people die slowly, then suddenly. He piped into her house an odorless, tasteless, smellless, undetectable gas. She was alive, and she could function, but something didn't seem right. Over time, she lost her shine. 
became more easily fatigued, less friendly, more self-interested, and generally unhealthy no matter how many doctors she saw or remedies she tried. Finally, the day came when the, ru when the ruiner of dreams came to ultimately destroy her. She awakened from her sleep to a warmth that became a burning sensation in her eyes, nostrils, throat, and lungs. The house was ablaze. She jumped up, put on her clothes and her shoes, and then started to collect all the things that she valued. During her gathering, the smoke overcame her. As she laid on the ground, she asked about... I'm sorry. As she lay dying, the destroyer of dreams was giddily with his little iPhone 4S that had just come out, taking videos to add to his collection of the lives he'd destroyed, because he perished death and destruction. Suddenly, a man burst into what was left of the house. He scooped her up, and he carried her out. He laid her on the ground. And as he was laying her on the ground, she asked about my things and my stuff. Those things were around me when you found me. Why didn't you grab them too? He looked at her through the smoke and just shook his head no, and with a cough, said, I could only save you. As her head turned to the house that was left, uh, what was left of the house as it collapsed to the ground, she replied, you should have saved my things too. They're very precious to me. By then, her savior had jetted off to rescue other people from other imperiled houses on the street because the destroyer of dreams was very busy that night. So, what's the point? The point is, she was dying, but she wanted to tell her savior how to save her. She wanted to dictate the terms of her salvation from certain deaths. And it made me wonder, you know, to what degree are we like that woman? Do we try to dictate the terms of our salvation from certain death? People come to the doctor's office for three reasons. They want to, they need to, or they have to. Some come, hear my advice, some even pay for my advice, um, and then choose not to follow. You know, I'm very fortunate I get to work in a Christian healthcare center. Our mission is to take care of people and show them the love of Jesus Christ and take care of them regardless of their ability to pay. It's a, it's a fantastic place to get to, to get to work. I get a chance to pray with people who want me to pray with them. But some people come and they pick and choose the pieces of the advice that I give them, and that's okay. I'm not God, I'm just a doctor. Some come lots and lots of times, and we talk about the same things over and over. And they still do what they want to do, but they keep coming back. So we figure well, there must be a reason why they're coming back. One day, it'll hit them and they'll decide that they want to make some changes that will affect their life in a positive way. Whether it's taking medications or quitting smoking or wanting to lose weight. How many ways are there to lose weight? Anybody? Take a guess. How many ways are there to lose weight? One. Just one. Your calorie output has to be greater than your calorie input. A person has to either use or burn more calories than she or he eats. That's the only way. Everything else comes back to that. Like Paul in Athens, 
in Acts chapter 17, you can look around and see that the people around us in the world today, and even some people in this room are very religious and spiritual. Many seem to realize that they want more in life than there is. They, they kind of want to come into a relationship with God. Yet like the woman in our story, they want to dictate the terms of their salvation. They want to hold something back. In a way, they really kind of want to be saved, maybe, but they really want to save themselves. Or maybe they'll save themselves a little bit of God's help, thinking that somehow they can cross this chasm on their own if they only worked out enough or meditated enough or whatever. But they're kind of like the patients who come in and want to lose weight, but they're waiting for some other way than the one way. There's still really just one way. Jesus said, Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Peter, when speaking in the first sermon, said, Salvation is found in no one else other than Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given to humankind by which we must be saved. My 12-year-old daughter asked her friend, why don't you want to become a Christian? I was intrigued. I was like, maybe she's going to say something that's like, real interesting. And Christians treat me bad. They're bad examples or something like that. Um, no, this honest 12-year-old responded, she doesn't want to become a Christian. Now she's 12, so she's just telling the truth like it's in her head. She doesn't want to become a Christian because she doesn't want anyone telling her what to do or how to live. She wants to control her own life. And she feels she can do it, be a good person, all on her own. Coming into a saving relationship with God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ is like being born. And as my pastor, Rock Dilliman, says, anything that is born grows. Part of that growth is living out our faith and being ambassadors of God's love because we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We are called to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. So after we've been born, we need to grow, because that's what things are born to do. Things are born to grow. There's a lot of joy in being a, a family physician, especially a Christian who's a family physician. I got to see a guy who is a dapper Christian dude. He survived drugs, alcohol, two strokes, hepatitis, to become a Christian. He credits Christ for enabling him to live life to its fullest now, even though he's in a wheelchair because of the the medical problems that he's had. He also credits God with allowing the bad stuff to happen to him because without that bad stuff, he said, I would never, ever have thought about giving my life over to Christ. One day he comes in and he says, you know, I'd like some... He'll put some earmuffs on those girls. He wants some Viagra. And so he wants some Viagra... And I said, you know, I can give you the Viagra. It's not a problem. So, you know, you've told me you have this testimony about, about serving the Lord, and, and I know you're not married. Do you really want me to give you this Viagra? And that's a conversation that I can have with him because I know he's a believer and I'm a believer, and the Spirit was moving that day. And he said, no. And actually, he talks about that a lot back into the office. He said he just needed a reminder that he needs to follow the Lord the way the Lord wants him to follow after him. Sometimes there's sorrow in being a family physician. I remember going to do a home visit on a patient who was dying. And uh, he'd grown up in the church and kind of asked his permission. And we started talking about spiritual matters. And he decided that 
I'm not really sure exactly how all the conversation went because I just remember in my head that we got to his, his eternal situation and he just looked at me right in the eyes, kind of just shook his head, and he turned his shoulder very slowly and put his back to me and put his eyes towards the wall. You see, although he desired prayers for his pain and comfort, in the end he could not accept God's love and, would, and uh, could not stop wanting to be the God of his life. There's a guy, and he was in his garage, and he stayed there for hours. And he went, and he went inside into the basement, and he looked in the mirror. He went back to the garage, and he lay on the car for many, many hours. He went back, and he looked in the mirror. He went back into the garage. This time he got into the car. He slept in the garage. He slept in the car for many, many hours. Came back. He looked in the mirror and he shook his head. Uh, he still was a he still wasn't a car. Somehow he thought that if he spent enough time in the garage, he would become a car. And I thought, well, maybe if he was from Cybertron, he could have transformed into a car. But since he's from Earth, he's not going to become a car by being in the garage. Sometimes I think we think that if we sit in church long enough, we'll become Christians. And no matter how how long I sit in church, I can't really do anything. I can't transform myself. The only way for me to become a Christian, to be born, and then for me to actually grow in the Lord, is to allow God to do the work. I have to... So... Just being in a building doesn't make you into anything. I think about dishes and how glad I am to have a dishwasher. I don't have to do the dishes. Dishes, when they're dirty, are of little value and they can't fulfill their purpose. But once they're clean, then they can do the good works and function according to their purpose and their design. You can think of God as being the best dishwasher that there is. There's no pre-rinsing. Never understood that. Why you have to wash the dishes, then put them in the dishwasher. There's no pre-rinsing. You don't have to scrape off the hard stuff, the gravy. You just put the dishes in exactly the way they are, and then put it on the God cycle, and then you come out clean. So no matter what you've done or where you are or how you process the world, God is ready to help you fulfill your purpose. The God of the universe loves you. He's not mad at you. I wasn't sure if we'd sing any of those 7-Eleven songs today. I do like the 7-Eleven songs, you know, seven words and you sing them 11 times. And those are great. I mean, those are fine. I'm down with 7-Eleven. You know, because even in relations we see that God doesn't mind a little repetition, right? He's got those angels there and all they say is holy, holy, holy. I'm thinking, that's quite a job to have. But we didn't sing any 7-Eleven songs and that's okay. But there's a beginning of a song that says, God is not mad at you. He's not mad at you. So no matter what's going on, if you have hate in your heart, you haven't forgiven somebody, you struggle with lust, you might be lusting right now. I don't know what you're looking at on your eye, whatever. 
I can see the little glow. I'm accustomed to the glow of the eye, whatever. You might be struggling with pornography. Most of you have seen pornography. It's kind of the way of the world. It's the way of life. Um, you could probably check the, you can check the Wi-Fi on the campus and, and all that stuff. And so people do that. But you may have, be having sexual relations that aren't of the biblical type that God has ordained us to have. You may have had an abortion. You may have encouraged somebody to have an abortion. You may be filled with pride or arrogance or envy for someone else because they grew up in a better situation than you or they can jump higher or run faster. You may have cheated on a test because you really need to get good grades to get into that next level of education. You may struggle with drunkenness. You may struggle with apathy. I don't care. Whatever. You may be despising God's path for your life. You may perpetrate injustice on the weak or on the poor. It doesn't make a difference. God wants you just as you are. He wants us just as we are. I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling to those who've already come into relationship with God. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Today is a good day to receive God's forgiveness. If you've already received God's forgiveness, grow. Forgive yourself. Stop blaming others. Transmit the love that God has given you to others around you. If you fail, tell God you're sorry. Maybe tell the person you've wronged you're sorry. And try again. See, God's not mad at us. He wants the best for us. He wants to carry us from there to there. And he won't drop us. He wants us in that relationship with him. That's why he sent his son to die on the cross for us. I want to close with some words from Jude. He says, There will be scoffers who will follow their ungodly desires. There are people who will divide you, who follow their mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, both now and forevermore. Hopefully, hopefully, prayerfully, today is either a day of the beginning of your birth in Christ or a time of renewal or acceleration of your growth in Christ. We are born to grow. If you've been dead before today, today's a good day to be born. If you've already been born, today's a good day to accelerate your growth in Christ. There's some cards in your chair, in your in your pews, and you can use them if you wish. Um, on one card, you can write a yes or a no. You can write, "Are you a follower of Christ? Yes or no." On the other card, I'd like you to write, "What is your biggest temptation or roadblock to serving the Lord?" This will give us a sense of, of how we can pray for you. The responses obviously are very anonymous. There'll be boxes outside uh, the door. You can just drop them in on the way out. Obviously, totally voluntary. But hopefully, today will either be a day of you beginning in Christ or a time of renewal or acceleration of your growth in Christ. If you want to continue this conversation in any way, shape, or form, 
I will be here. Or you can reach me at Facebook, or you can give me 144 characters on Twitter. So it's been my distinct privilege to get to share with you this morning what God has laid on my heart. And, and today is a good day to be born. Today is a good day to grow in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Stand with me. As we enter into this homecoming weekend, I leave you with this benediction. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanks thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. God go with you. Pavilioned in splendor and girded with rain.